everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On the show, we talk about the system that we use to get clarity on our goals, certainty that we have the tools to reach them, and wealthy on our terms by rigging the game in our favor. And we share it here because we want to help you reach your goals on your terms. You've been told to scale by this product, by that product, often from good-meaning people. So it's not your fault when you look around and you wonder, why am I not where I want to be in my business? As our mentor and business partner, Dan Nicholson, says, the biggest risk is that we don't get what we want out of life. Got my good friend and business partner here in the Whale Club, Mr. Paul Sparks himself, not only a successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. Guys, if you get value out of the show, please hit the subscribe button right now. That way we can help more people become wealthy on their terms. Title for today's show is How to Innovate Your Business Today. Before we get into that, Six-word updates. What you got, Paul? Six-word update today. Getting my fingers in the dirt. So uh, these last uh, couple weeks, I've just, it's a little bit of like, I've had to get back involved with one or two projects. We, we've ended up buying a flip. Um, for you guys that, most of the people that know me know I was really shy around flips for a while. Um, but uh, we're just gaining so much uh, momentum in the the construction side of our business that, uh, and part of it is I'm getting to learn a lot of this by forcing myself. I think what I used to do was abdicate responsibility for all that to somebody else. You know, somebody else can learn how to do that. I don't want to do that. I think what I'm realizing is, well, tough. You want to be in this <laughs> business. You want to learn how to do construction projects and you better get your fingers in the dirt. So yeah. I've been doing that the last few weeks and honestly, I'm enjoying it. That's I'm good. learning a lot from these guys and um, things are moving forward. So it's been good. That's great. That's the reason why I won't flip <laughs> because... I hate it. I don't want to learn it. I'd rather right. just wholesale to somebody else. There you go. <laughs> um, my six-word update, my magnum opus, closemoresales.com. So um, I'm all in on sales training. Uh, I went to Family Mastermind. We talked about the art of the high-ticket close. I went to ClickFunnels. And someone pulled me aside and was like, hey, do you do sales? Right, Because I was wearing this uh, salesdisruptors.com t-shirt that I always wear during my podcast. Uh, he's like, do you do sales? Like, uh, yes, I do sales, <laughs> right? And he had a really strong pain in getting salespeople to work for his organization. And he asked a friend, hey, would you pay a lot of money to have salespeople working for you? He's like, yes. And then like I had an epiphany. He's like, there's 5,000 people at this ClickFunnels event paying $1,000 a head. They yeah. all need help with sales. I'm all in on sales. So that's it. Bought that domain this week. Really, really excited to see where that goes. Well, and that's a result of like, I mean, I'm not saying it's all from, you probably would have figured this out on, on your own, but like, I, I, I will say that the work that we've been putting in over the last year and a half with the certainty mm -hmm. stuff, yeah. you know, it's starting to really bear fruit now for both of us in our mm -hmm. different businesses. You know, yeah. you're in, in, you're figuring out how to keep the main thing, the main thing, right? right. Everyone knows Steve Trang as the sales trainer. Um, and so it's like, well, how can we continue to bolster that? How can we continue to make the, the, the main thing, the main thing and optimize for that? So kudos to you, man. I love to see it. It's great. Yeah. Thank you. I actually had someone pull me aside at family and it's like, why are you not more boastful? Like that you're like how, how big you are at sales. Like I thought we say it a lot, but okay. Um, and so I was like, well, this is it. Planting our flag in the ground. We are the preeminent sales solution provider. Let it be known. Let it be known. All right. So uh, how to innovate in your business today. So what is the problem, Paul? Well, you know, I would say that, I, you know, and again, I know this because I'm guilty of this and I made these mistakes and I know you have as well. So we have a, a phrase that we got from Dan and Nick. Um, Nick was really the first person I heard talking about this idea of only innovate where you differentiate. And what I found is that the problem exists in it's either two, it's twofold. It's either you are innovating in areas of your business where you don't actually differentiate. Mm -hmm. And that takes up a lot of time and resources and energy. So it's either that you're, in, you're, you're innovating in areas where you don't actually differentiate mm -hmm. or you're not innovating at all. And you're just copying an out of the box, 
you know, business from somebody else. You're bolting on these different things that other people do, and you're not actually innovating and differentiating in any areas of your business. So we want to talk about some frameworks today that sure. will really get at the heart of solving one of those, both of those problems. Um, and I can tell you that most of us struggle with either one or the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I've um, been doing this business now for 18 years, blessed to still be alive in this business. Um, I've mentored a lot of people and the people I found that have the most success were the ones that did exactly what you have to do to be successful. That might sound really obvious, right? So for example, I would say, Hey, call this many people, use this script, run this process. And what happens? They didn't innovate. They just did it. And it worked. It's crazy. But what do we do? And by the way, I am putting myself probably the worst offender of this. Paul gives me a script. I'm going to look at a script. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. Well, that doesn't sound like me. I'm going to say it this way. Changing the script. Right? Changing the process. And you say, hey, Steve, call people that are in pre-foreclosure. I was like, well, I don't want to spend money in pre-foreclosure. Maybe I'll just call these people over here completely innovating unnecessarily. And then I go back, Hey Paul, your stuff doesn't work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you get that all the time. Man. <laughs> well, I've done it a bunch, right? Again, like had the good pleasure, uh, uh, good fortune. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of people I've been able to work with, but for me, I, like I want to like slam my head against the wall every time. Like not doing what works. But anyway, mm -hmm. I don't know how much that applies to what we're talking about today. 100%, man, it does. And and so let's let's just so the framework here is only innovate where you differentiate. So you got to first let's recognize and let's all agree. Can we agree that as small business owners, resources are scarce? Yes. And if you if you're running a business, you've probably experienced this. Mm -hmm. There's only a certain amount of money, there's only a certain amount of time in the day and an energy that you have and these are um you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm coming from a scarcity mindset, but like we have we have limited resources. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be very intentional about what we choose to apply those resources towards. And that is um, I, f I feel like what the su what successful business owners have figured out is like you can't do everything. Mm -hmm. So we've got to optimize for the most important things. Well, so, so before you continue here. Yeah, we just said here is so obvious. It's one of those things that's common sense once you hear it, but you never acted that way until you heard it, right? So it's mm -hmm. obvious once it's said, because for a good chunk of my career, 80, if not 90% of it, I operated as if I had unlimited resources, which is stupid, but that's how I operated. So I want you to say it again, right? We don't have unlimited resources. We have scarce resources. So what do we have to do knowing we have scarce resources? We have to optimize. Yeah. Right. And that's a whole different, probably entire show we could do on optimizing versus maximizing, yeah. trying to do everything. Um, but I want to start off by uh, giving an example of, of a fantastic example of a company that we're all familiar with that only innovated in the one area that they differentiated and it became a massively successful product for this company. Uh, I would say most of us are familiar with Google, right? Mm -hmm. We've heard of Google. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about how they innovated. Okay. So if you're familiar with Google, you're probably also familiar with Microsoft, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Microsoft Excel, I mean, when we went through engineering school, I, I assume Microsoft Excel was back then. Uh, when oh, yeah. Dinosaur Steve, no, I'm kidding. Uh, went no, through, we uh, use it. I mean, we even had Excel classes freshman year, right, in engineering. Yes. So did I. So did we. Exactly. And so we all uh, learned Microsoft Excel, and they were a dominant powerhouse. Like, I don't, I don't know of any competitors to Microsoft Excel. They had cornered that entire market mm -hmm. for multiple decades, potentially even up to 30 years. And, and then what happened? Google came along and they said, 
you guys have a fantastic product here, mm -hmm. right? We're going to basically go in and copy down to the logo, the format, the functionality of the menu bar. <laughs> the menu bar. <laughs> the like, menu bar is the same. <laughs> it looks the same to anyone who's never used Microsoft or uh, never used Google Sheets. If you were to use Microsoft Excel, there would be no gap almost at all. They actually didn't differentiate in the format or any of that type of stuff. Or the formulas. What would, what's the one key differentiator, Steve? It is on the internet. It's on the internet. And guess what? They changed one thing about that product, and it's a massively successful uh, you know, product for, for Google now. Yeah. And – I think that they understood this concept. I think that they understood that, listen, if we don't actually differentiate, we're just going to copy it. Now, we're probably going to change a few things so we don't have patent infringement problems and we don't, like, <laughs> you know, violate any sort of uh, legal agreements. Right. But they just took the product, they copied it, and they changed one thing, and they were massively successful. It's the same shade of green, like the logo. Yeah. <laughs> the logo it almost looks the same it's it's, it's kind of hilarious when you put them up next to it it's yeah. like one's a cross and one's an x yeah um and you know like for me this is going to sound really petty i hate it when people send me uh, excel files now it's like why don't we sure. just put this in google sheets like why <laughs> now yeah. i gotta go like rename the version i gotta download this right. and then put like this date on this thing so when i send it back to you it's not overwriting or undoing any, <laughs> any changes yeah. like why would you why would you inflict harm on me by sending me an Excel sheet when we when that ex, a Google spreadsheet would have sufficed. It is rude. And first thing I do when I get an Excel sheet now is I just drop it into Google so that I can yeah. like edit it and send it back to them. So yeah, what a case in point for innovating in literally just one thing. Yeah. And they knew that spending a bunch of time and resources trying to innovate the menu bar or the logo or all this stuff it doesn't matter because we don't actually differentiate in any of that right let's spend all our resources in the one area where we do differentiate so with that being said let's talk about our real estate businesses right and mm -hmm. let's give some some case in points for both sides areas where you might be able to just copy so I think the real there's two there's one of the first takeaways with all this is like you have Steve and I are giving you permission if you're listening to this mm -hmm. to just go copy areas of your business. I'm not saying you shouldn't copy the entire business because then you risk of you run the risk of not differentiating, but copying the the areas of your business where you don't differentiate at all. Let me give a few examples. First is let's talk about Whale Club. Um. I don't differentiate in how we take payments for Wheel Club, right? So mm -hmm. I didn't try to come up with some new way to take payments or anything like this. We just went out and found – we asked a bunch of other people, hey, they're, they're running masterminds. Like, how do you take payments? And we just copied what they were doing. Mm -hmm. It very well could be in a real estate business. You don't differentiate with the sales script. Right. The sales script is a proven methodology that works, so you might just integrate that and literally just copy it. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is when you try to copy everything, and like I said, now you don't differentiate. So the first question I want to ask everyone that's listening to this is, is this an area, as you're kind of looking at your business and you're taking stock of all the different functions in your business from your team culture to the hiring process to the SOPs to all the marketing channels and the sales processes and all the things, the components that we have. Ask yourself, is this an area of my business I'm choosing to differentiate? Because if not, and we'll spend the entire time of this, uh, the rest of this call talking about ways to differentiate. Mm -hmm. But my first point is like, if you don't actually differentiate, that's not where you're choosing to make your stand. Just go copy something that already works. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with direct mail? Sure. Um, that's a great case in point. So I got into, you know, wholesaling and I started looking at, well, how do I go about getting leads? I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> getting leads is really the first place you got to start, right? You got to get consistent lead flow that you can have something to actually chew on and try to close. And so, um, 
So it's not like I was strapped for cash. We had enough money to, to kind of invest in the business, but I spent all this time at the beginning of my of my business um, trying to basically build out a direct mail function on my own. So how do I pull the data? How do I make sure that that data is scrubbed and vetted and I'm getting out, you know, the bad stuff and then, okay, we need to design a postcard and then we've got to go to the mail house and we've got to order these things and get them printed. And then we got to get them in the envelopes and then we've got to get them stamped and then dropped off. And then what do you do about all the return mail and how are we going to answer all these phone calls? And I mean, I don't know about you, but it's a freaking can of worms doing direct mail. Right. It, so, it totally is. So I spent all this time and energy trying to figure out direct mail, trying to get it all tweaked and do all these different things. And the amount of time and energy I spent on that was now time and energy I wasn't spent closing deals. I wasn't spent trying to build out my team and culture. And of course, most of you that know me know I don't actually own that business anymore. But you know, at the time, what I realized was I was violating this right there. Did I really differentiate in direct mail. Now, there's a lot of people I know two whales, Mike Kehoe and Tim McGarvey. They actually do innovate in direct mail. It's probably their biggest lead source. And in fact, there's a lot of people who are now paying them mm -hmm. to just copy what they've done. Right. So there are plenty of people who have innovated in these different areas. But I eventually asked myself, is this really where you're trying to make your stand is in direct mail? Is that where you're trying to differentiate? And what I realized is eventually I was like, no, it's not. So guess what? I called up Jason Lewis at Investor Machine and I'm like, dude, can you just come in and like do this all for me? Like, I don't want to spend any more energy and time figuring this out. I just want to copy something that has got a proven track record of working. And that's why we chose to work with Investor Machine. There's a lot of different companies that provide expertise. You know, I had built a great relationship with Jason and, you know, this is a plug for Investor Machine. I love those guys. They're great at what they do. Um, but my point was, I realized I didn't differentiate there. So I had to just stop trying to build this thing on my own and just go copy something that worked. Yep. And then just to take it one step further, I'm going to pick on our friend Jason Lewis at Investor Machine. Was I believe he said on one of our podcast episodes was that he had created Investor Machine and he was still running his wholesaling business. And he was not using Investor Machine, the service provider, He's like, I'm already doing it. And what he found was that he was inconsistent in mailing. It's like, why am I still doing this? So then he just had his company, his other company, handle his direct mail, and it became more profitable. Shocker, yeah. right? So just yeah, amusing. So anyway, just I thought that might be an additional case in point that might help people understand where we're trying to go with this. Yeah, that's good. Well, so let's talk about... So again, if, you, if you've decided, first of all, that this isn't where I'm going to make my stand, I'm not going to differentiate in my inbound call system. Well, the best part that I, what I've noticed is that the best thing about relationships, being involved with masterminds, being involved with other groups like this is that you can, you can oftentimes just copy what a lot of people are doing. And that's great. But there is a danger to that is that you copy too much. Mm-hmm. So first of all, where are you making your stand, right? Where are you going to choose to differentiate inside of your business? Because let's agree that you have to innovate and differentiate in at least one area, mm -hmm. right? If, if Google, if, um, uh, Google Sheets basically just created Microsoft Excel and it wasn't on the internet, that's not really uh, an innovative product. You're just copying something that's already there. Yeah, Apple numbers did not conquer Excel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So where are you going to make your stand? And let's talk about the five areas where you might consider differentiating. And this actually comes from a guy named Stephen Shapiro. Mm -hmm. He talks about the five D's of differentiation. Mm -hmm. So we'll go through those five D's here today and sort of talk about some case and points around your business of where you can make your stand. So so we got five D's. The first D is uh, distinct. Innovating in an area that sets you apart from your competition. That sounds obvious, right? So again, if everybody's doing the exact same thing, your product is probably not distinct. Mm -hmm. So I, I had a case in point for this. Um, you know, we're doing these fix and flips, 
And in fact, we have a property at the address is 1758. There's a house at 1658, one block over that's sold, fully flipped, similar floor plan, similar bed bath count. And uh, we looked at the design and I'm like, wow, this is really great design. Of course, there's a couple ways to think about this. One is maybe we don't actually differentiate. Let's just, we know that that house sells. So you could just copy that design. You could go out, you could find the flips in the area and copy it. That's what I would have done. Yeah. And, and all, honestly, we've been kicking that around. Like at what point does it make sense to just find the best comp and build the exact same house and just copy it? Yeah. So, you know, we're sort of we're talking about that, but we're also looking at little ways we can put our stamp on it. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe it's like you always use a certain color door. So anybody that sees your flip fix and flip product, they're like, oh, that's a bunny hill. That's a bunny hill house. Mm -hmm. Or you're finding um, that one feature that you always do in your properties, like you're adding a fire pit in the backyard or you're. Um, uh, doing some extra level of design that's that makes you distinct from your competitors so that people see your product and they want to do it. In fact, we've been looking at a lot of that in terms of our townhomes. Mm -hmm. What can we do that makes us distinct from our competition? We can take the Microsoft Excel example. Here's this flip. Here are these other projects. Where's one area where we can innovate where they're like, dang, that's a really cool feature. These mm -hmm. other places don't have that. Right. Kind of like... Right? um. Gold, Barry Goldwater. I think that's what it was. I don't know. One of the guys in the, um, in, in, in Scottsdale, right? Like he, he's known for his architecture. Um, I don't think it's Goldwater. Ah, whatever it is. But there's distinct architectures, right? Like when they build that house, like it's a premium because you know that he's got these additional things that not everyone else has in their homes. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, another one that I was sort of thinking about is how about culture? You know, um, you know, we, we run a, we run a, a, a club, a community, a mastermind, all those mm -hmm. words are fine. I don't care. It's the language isn't important, but we have whale club and we were talking about this, you and I recently about how it's going to be really difficult for anyone to really compete with us because mm -hmm. no one plays their game the same way that we do. We use silly whale hats. We have all sorts of very distinct things that we do inside of our business. But guess what? The certainty operating system, mm -hmm. we didn't change any of that. Nope. It, I think at a certain point, we realized that, listen, Dan and rigging the game and the CCA and all that stuff was, very, was taught to a very broad group of entrepreneurs. We took that. And we're bringing it to real estate. That's the innovative part. Right. And we don't really differentiate in the actual content, the frameworks, the tools. We differentiate in the fact that it's applied to real estate. And in fact, that's what makes it very innovative. So right. we kind of eventually learned, oh, right, we got to stop trying to innovate in all these other areas because all we really need to do is innovate in this one area, just go really deep inside of real estate. Yeah. So disclaimer. Paul's the goofy wheel hat guy. It's not we. It's a disclaimer. Steve loves it. <laughs> Second, uh, we tried to differentiate too much when we first started. Remember? Yes, we did. Right? And that caused all sorts of confusion. Mm -hmm. yeah. It did. So, you know, the flip side of this is like, there's probably a lot of areas inside of your business. I know this to be true because we, we've just given some examples right here. But look inside of your business and say, are you really trying to be distinct here, like different from your competition? Does it matter? Or, or are you just doing it because you feel like you want to do it? A lot of times this is biases. You just, mm -hmm. you want to take control. You want to try to do it yourself. You want to do these different things. And I'm here to tell you if resources are limited and scarce, you got to be careful trying to innovate in all these different areas because you're burning energy and resources there. Um, so first thing is, does it set you apart from your competition? Does it make you distinct? Choose to innovate in an area that could potentially uh, set you in, in distinction from your competition. Second D, is it durable? And what he means by this is, is it difficult for someone else to replicate? Meaning it's going to be really hard for someone to compete with you and I because what we learned is like if we just play our game, 
good luck trying to compete with us. There's a bunch of folks that I know from NCG that have an incredible team culture. Good luck trying to beat them in right. their team culture. It's going to be really difficult for someone else to replicate that. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes very durable long term. Right. I mean, that's like, yeah, good luck in York, Pennsylvania. Just forget about it. Just good luck. <laughs> pack your bags, go somewhere else. Just don't, <laughs> don't try to compete in that. The culture is too strong. The operations are too strong. Yeah, and I think uh, the the ultimate way to build a durable business is to lean into your own unique disposition, mm -hmm. to lean into playing your game, because it's the authenticity that's really difficult to replicate. I found. Mm -hmm. um, again, in in real estate, I believe that it's all about relationships. So if you want to have a durable differentiator long term. Become someone that's one of one, one of zero, right? Mm -hmm. You are not going to compete with me playing my game. That should be the mantra, right? In your business, there's probably certain things that you want to do and establish. Maybe it's inside of your culture. Maybe it's the way that you approach relationships. You know, one of the big things that um, that we do is, and we've, I'll, I'll admit, we've slowed down a little bit lately as we've just done less and less transactions, but uh, giftology. We've, I don't know if we've talked about giftology on this, on show. this show, but but it's um, there's a book, Ruben, I think is his last name that wrote it. I forget the guy's name. Um, but it's this whole idea around giving gifts to your relationships mm -hmm. and not doing it on a set schedule, not doing it after some major event or on a holiday, but doing it randomly and sporadically throughout the year to let them know I'm thinking about you, man. I care about this relationship. Mm -hmm. And don't just give them a hat with your logo on it. <laughs> right. No, like make it about them. Make it something that like, like, for example, one of the things that we did for a seller that her mother, her mother had passed. And, and I got this from Chad Young. First of all, Chad, thanks for the, the tip on giftology here. And I, you know, I actually just copied this. So funny to say this. I just yeah. copied the gift he did because I didn't differentiate it differentiated in my business. Um, it was a wind chime that had his mo the, the mother's name on it. It's like, you know, in loving memory of, and I forget her name at this point, but, you know, gave that to them and it brought them to tears, right? Doing stuff like that, being able to um, build little functions like that into your business, it's going to be really difficult for someone else to replicate your ability to, to show compassion and connect with your partners, with your clients, the different people that you work with. And so yeah. that was just another case in point of where we, we found a very durable way to differentiate. And you look at durability, uh, I, I can't remember where I saw this, but you know, Jeff Bezos was on stage. And they're asking him, like, you know, like, what advice do you give to newer entrepreneurs? And he says, like, one thing that drives him crazy is, like, people are asking, like, where do you see the biggest changes in the next couple of years so they can be prepared for the changes, right? We hear about AI, you hear about blockchain, whatever. It's like, it's like, you guys are focusing on all the wrong things. Don't be great at the next big thing. Be great in what would be true in the next 10 years. If you be great in what's true in the next 10 years, you'll still be here in 10 years. Yeah. If you're great in what's new, you might not be so great in a few years. Steve, you must be reading off my notes here, bro, because the, the third D is disruption proof. Ah, see, I thought that was durable. Right? My bad. <laughs> so, so durable is all about, it's going to be really difficult for someone to copy what you're doing. Got you it. can't, really tough to copy someone else's game. You know, mm -hmm. you're not going to beat Eric Brewer with his little, you know, looking faces that he puts on his billboards and stuff like that. And like, I don't know. I just think those are hilarious. Yeah. But, um, and Chad Young, you're not going to compete with him because he's got this uh, hilarious little jingle that he does on his TV commercials. You know, he's found ways to build in like, you know, not only distinct, but also very durable things mm -hmm. that are going to stand the test of time. You become known for something yep. and that's difficult to replicate. But the third D is disruption proof. So it's going to stand the test of time in a fast-changing world. Now, I wouldn't say that real estate is a fast-changing world, no. personally. I would say it's a fairly slow-changing uh, world relative to tech and you know other industries like this. But with that being said, it goes along exactly what you're saying there. In 10 years, is this going to stand the test of time in 10 years? If I choose to differentiate in this area of my business – 
am I going to have to like reinvent that again in 10 years? Mm -hmm. I mean, look, I talked about it. Close more sales. We made a conscious decision in 2023 to go from just real estate sales training to general sales training, really more home service, home services, but more general sales, because guess what will always be needed? Mm -hmm. Salespeople, right? But real estate sales, that was not so disruption proof, man. Interest rates changed. We lost about 45% of our customer base over the course of about a year. But man, you feel that if you build a business based off a certain amount of revenue and that revenue goes down almost half, it's pretty, uh, what's it? It's, uh, maybe not earthquake earth shattering, but it's pretty, uh, it's pretty high on the Richter scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's definitely true. I, I was just thinking there's another example here. Um, let's talk about texting for a second. Mm -hmm. Uh, is it reasonable to say that texting in 10 years is that is 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 i mean i just want to say like is it going to stand the test of time will we be operating in the texting space the same as we are today in 10 years it would be incredibly mind-blowing to me if it were i couldn't agree more with all the laws and the regulations and everything that's coming out it's like Texting, in my opinion, is not going to stand the test of time. No. It could very well just be this quick flame that, you know, burns out in a matter of, you know, five to 10 years. People have been using it, but we're kind of coming to the tail end of this or it's getting harder. Additional regulation coming down. So choosing to innovate in how you text, the platforms you use, all this different types of stuff, you might ask yourself, well, if it's not going to be around in 10 years, if there's going to be so much scrutiny and regulation around it, maybe it doesn't make sense to innovate, but also maybe it does. Because if you can find a way to differentiate mm -hmm. or to uh, to provide this disruption proof thing, hey, texting can do whatever it wants to do. But like we're this this innovation that we've created is going to stand the test of time. Right. Um, so it's just, it's kind of a couple different ways to think about it. I mean, it's kind of comes back to like your own preferences, your own perspectives on what you believe is going to be here in 10 years and mm -hmm. really where you make your stand. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I would, I would love to kind of spend more time talking about different case and points, but I want to make sure I get through all this. And so really, yeah, with the third one here, disruption proof, it's be careful choosing to innovate in areas that if the government just says, you know what, we're shutting this down. Sorry. Well, you've just spent a lot of time and energy and resources on an area that might actually not be here in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, so. we, we, we see a lot of our colleagues, right. With Airbnb, uh, with Airbnb arbitrage, right? Like there are a lot of people hurting right now. There are a lot of people that are, you know, maybe not making their payments that they promised. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another example that I'm just thinking of here is like, let's say you owned a, like a laundry facility or like a car wash or something like that. And like, it's not automated in any way. You know, there's no electronic payments. It's no, any of that sort of stuff. The question would be, well, do you feel like electronic payments are going to be here in 10 years? Like, well, that is fairly disruption proof by making that distinction. You're mm -hmm. clearly distinct, um, distinct, durable, and disruption-proof against someone who doesn't choose to innovate there. So, you know, this is a very, like, yeah, it's just really interesting to think through these different things. Let's talk about the fourth one. Is it desirable? So are people willing to pay you for it, first mm -hmm. of all? Is there because a market for it? it? Is there a market for it? Like, business is about making a profit. That's why we go into business. We're trying mm -hmm. to make money. There's also all sorts of other currencies they get what we get from it, but... Um, if your business isn't profitable, it probably won't be a business for very long. So the first question is, are you choosing to innovate in an area that people are actually going to find value in and pay you for? So does it increase the bottom line? So I don't know. What can you think about in terms of innovating in areas maybe that would be highly desirable to a client or a customer? Mm -hmm. Maybe it is. Um, well, I'll just get your opinion. Or innovating in areas where it's like, look, man, no one's ever going to really care about that. Oh yeah, no, we've got we we we've done both, right? So, like, oh, they're gonna love this. Like, no, they don't. I can't think of all the ones that fail because you know one thing is about being an entrepreneur is you you're like a wide receiver or quarterback or or or, or shooting guard. 
you have a short-term memory. All right, so I can't yeah. remember all the things that we've tried and failed. But novations, that was something that was desirable, right? Market shifted. There's a lot of desire for that. Um, so uh, right now, there's 2022 was probably the most uncertain time for a lot of the real estate industry, right? Because a lot of people, it's amazing, I think. You know, if you look at the people that have been in the industry for five years or less, it's pretty sizable, right? So that being the case, when things got interesting, it got really hard really fast. A lot of uncertainty. So what was desirable at that time? Certainty. That's what's, going, that's, that's what's, that's what's working really well today. Hmm. That's good. As you were saying that, it made me think of this project that I'm going through right now. Um, and we've been talking about like some electrical stuff. Mm -hmm. Like we have to fix a bunch of things that the previous contractor did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this guy's telling me about all these amazing new things. We can upgrade this. We can do that. You know, it's top of the line. Yeah, 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 yeah. And my point is, is like, who cares? Like, I get it. I just need the lights to turn on. I need it to be safe. I need it to be up to code and I need the lights to come on and I need the, you know, the furnace and all that fully like the panel needs to, I get it. You're really excited about this innovation that you've got in electrical systems, but that doesn't increase the value of my home. That no one is actually going to desire that. That doesn't make any difference to anyone. Yeah. So I'm not going to choose to spend my money innovating there. And of course I didn't have this conversation with the guy. I'm just like, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. Um, but th that's a case in point for like, why would I choose to differentiate in the electrical system when no one's going to pay me for that? Yeah. Yeah. It's not worth the extra money. Yeah. So it's got to be desirable. People have to find it desirable. I'll tell you one thing that was desirable, not having to download an Excel file, rename it, <laughs> send it back over to somebody else. They got to rename it again. It is highly desirable that we can all edit this Google, uh, this Google sheet all in one place, but I don't have to send it back and forth. That's a really highly desirable product. So right. again, if you're innovating in areas of your business, um, like maybe it's SOPs or maybe it's your um, your whole back-end process for how you send direct mail. And it's like, that doesn't matter to the client. They don't care about any of that. That's not desirable to them. Right. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe you have some innovation that makes it highly desirable to them. But my point is, is if you're innovating areas in areas that aren't going to actually get you paid, you might consider allocating those resources somewhere else that could yeah. get you. It's not going to move the needle. Yeah. It's not how you move the needle. Right. So you resources are scarce and this doesn't give us a higher ROI. Don't do it. Yeah. That's a real quick way to just kind of filter it out. Yeah. So up to this point, we've talked about the five, the four D. So distinct, durable, disruption proof and desirable brings us to the last one. Uh, it's disseminated. So people and people inside and outside of your organization are familiar with it. And what that means is that sometimes you're innovating in areas that the clients just can't quite understand what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the difference between innovation and information, right? You've you ever had that like that techie person who's like describing how amazing the tech is and they're talking about all the specific details and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I don't even know what any of that means. Yeah. Right. They're not familiar with it. And so you choosing to innovate in that area may not make sense to anybody else. It's just total like innovation to new to people. Mm -hmm. Innovation means the gaps getting wider in their understanding. Mm hmm. Versus information is the gaps getting shorter. So if you're innovating in a product that, for example, Microsoft Excel, it's mm -hmm. like we're all familiar with this problem that exists, that I got to do all these different things. I got to mm -hmm. download it, rename it, send it back to you, version 5, version 56. It's like, geez. So it's like, yeah, you know how you're familiar with that? Mm -hmm. Well, here's how um, – so, so disseminated essentially is getting at that. Uh, and I got one last example. When I talk to people about – what whale club is and what rigging the game is and what certainty is a lot of times i'm tying it back to things that they're already familiar with so a lot of times what i'll say is like hey you know you know profit first and like eos and traction like yeah of course i've definitely heard of that stuff i'm like great these are operating systems for 
Profit First is an operating system for your finances. EOS is an operating system for running your business and managing employees and things like this. And the certainty operating system, what we do in rigging the game, is a way to build an operating system for your decision making. How do we make better decisions in and out of our life? And people are like, oh, I get that because they're already familiar with some other thing, some other feature or product. So again, if it's not widely disseminated, if you choose to innovate there, you might be that little tech geek who's like innovating in all these areas, but no one's familiar with that. They're not familiar with the problem. And so again, it's going to be hard to actually differentiate there. Yeah. I mean, it takes me back to our NFTs. Right? Yeah. Tokenizing real estate. Definitely yeah. violated that one. Yeah, because again, no one knows. We like spend all this time and this energy talking about these things, but like real estate's really slow to adopt technology. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about blockchain and real estate, and people don't even know what the heck blockchain is. Right. So, you know, part of this was like, oh, we're violating that. We need yeah. to just stop doing that. Right. Um, which was really difficult because we had to like give back this idea that we were really excited about, but we realized that uh, it's not widely disseminated. Mm -hmm. It's another version of saying you're way too early. You're innovating in these things that you're way too early on and nobody's familiar with it. So no one's, it doesn't matter. Good, you know, great job. I'm, it seems like you guys really understand all this stuff, but like, I don't know how to use this. I don't know how to make sense of it because it's not widely disseminated. You know, one of the things that we saw, like the advantage that we had in wholesaling in 2020, 2019, 2020, and, and later on was that open door normalized cash offers. Right. Right. So like prior to open door, uh, I mean, they harmed us that were doing wholesaling before open door came around. I'm clearly unsatisfied with how they disrupted my pay-per-click marketing <laughs> with cash offers and overpaying on all these houses. But with open door on TV, on PPC, on direct mail. Now, when people were mailing for cash offers or talking to a homeowner about cash offers, there's no more, there's no longer like, you gonna buy my house for cash? What is this, right? So, Open Door did the heavy lifting along with OfferPad and a few other companies to disseminate that selling your house for cash is a viable option. They did all the heavy lifting on the education. So prior to that, if I bought a house for cash, they're like, "Oh, you have to buy it for really cheap, right?" Like I said, I like that part. You have to buy it really low for it to make sense for a cash offer. But they disseminate it. it is okay to sell your house for cash to a cash buyer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it makes me think of something I heard. Um, Randy Lawrence, he's a member of Collective Genius. He said this. This guy's a huge townhome developer in Florida. And he had a phrase that I used as a six-word update. He said, always a settler, never a pioneer. Because the pioneer is the one that gets shot in the back. Mm -hmm. It's like, let these big dogs go out and spend the money on all the innovation, watch what works, and then figure out how you can apply one of these five Ds to it. Figure out how you can take what they've already done and make it distinct or make it durable or disruption-proof or desirable or disseminated, mm -hmm. right? And so, you you know, I love that phrase. Always a settler, never a pioneer. Mm -hmm. Don't be the guy that's out in front trying to innovate in all these different areas when really you can just look at all the different things that are already working. You can copy most of it and you can choose to innovate in one of these one or two or three. I mean, it doesn't matter how many, but just like realize that your resources are scarce. So I love that model personally. Yeah. And I think, you know, you said it a couple of times here. I was like, should we like do a spoiler alert or not? But you already went through it, which, which is a lot of this comes down to play your game. Right. Uh, the great thing about real estate, there are a ton of ways to make money in real estate. Figure out which part you can differentiate. Right. You're dis or figure out parts where you're distinct or durable or disruption proof. Right. Figure these things out. Play your game, and that's how you win. That's how you win, man. So why do we violate this, Steve? Here's here's two reasons I think why we choose to innovate in areas where we don't differentiate. The first is, um, my notes. I, I, you know, I, I wrote. We're unwilling to discontinue anxiety-driven work because I think a lot of us identify as problem solvers, mm -hmm. 
The problem with problem solvers is that they have a tendency to create problems mm -hmm. just so they have something to solve. Yeah. Right. So we have a tendency to create create this problem that didn't exist. Like for example, with me in direct mail, I created this problem that really wasn't a problem. Mm -hmm. And now I start working on it. And by God, I'm a problem solver. I'm mm -hmm. going to figure this out, right? You start getting you know, frustrated and you're like, ah, I'm going to figure this out. But I'm not a quitter. I'm not someone who starts something and doesn't finish, right? And it becomes this highly anxiety-driven work. You're working on stuff just because you're someone that likes to solve problems and you created this problem just so you have something to solve. So it's this right. like vicious little cycle. I don't know about the people that are listening to this. That's something I deal with. I identify as a problem solver. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems that I have is I create problems sometimes just so I have something to solve. Well, I can say for sure, and we've talked about this before, when you have too much time, like every once in a while, you have too much time and you're bored. And then you got this emptiness. And in this emptiness, your brain starts thinking, Oh, we still have to do X. And then all that free time and, and, and relaxation all gets devoted towards X. Yeah. Solving a problem yeah. that wasn't a problem before. I mean, was it a problem? Perhaps. But did you have to solve it right now when this was your relaxation? Right. So if this is you and you're sitting around on a you know Saturday or a Sunday or maybe it's after work and and then you get that thought that pops in your head and you're like, did that guy, did that contractor email me back? Like, did they send that thing that they were supposed to send? You start, you know, <laughs> you start creating these scenarios that now you've got to have something to solve. And so first is that we're unwilling to stop doing that, mm -hmm. right? We right. feel productive when we have problems to solve and we get this anxiety that we've now got to go solve some problem that really didn't exist in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that's the first problem is we violate that. The second is we name the puppy. We name the puppy. If you're not familiar with naming the puppy, this phrase that we love so much, mm -hmm. it's you go into a pet store, let's say. You see a bunch of, of puppies over there, and the, the person who's you know watching all these puppies says, hey, pick up this puppy. And what, what do you think is a good name for this dog? And, of course, they're trying to get you to give it a name so that you'll become attached to that puppy and you mm -hmm. don't want to give it back. You start giving a puppy a name. I don't know what kind of heartless human would walk out of there without that puppy. Except for maybe Steve. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, well, Steve doesn't want puppies. I listened to a podcast with Andrew Huberman and, uh, and Chris Voss. And he talked about one thing they don't do in labs is give the animals names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, here, so what we mean by that is we have a tendency to name the puppy on different things inside of our business, right? We get really attached to this brilliant idea that we heard on some podcast or we watch some YouTube video and we're like, dang, that's an amazing idea. Or you go to a mastermind event and you come back with a laundry list of all the things that you want to do and you get really attached to these ideas. And it becomes difficult because, again, back to this identity of problem solver, we want to come in and like, we love to innovate and we love to be leaders and let's figure this out and problem solve. And that oftentimes can get us spending our energy, our time, our money, just as importantly, on a bunch of stuff that we really don't differentiate in, right? right? So in my mind, the two reasons that we violate this rule of only of, of innovating where we differentiate is is that we're unwilling to discontinue the anxiety-driven work that we have because mm -hmm. we identify as a problem solver, so we create problems just to have something to solve. The second is we name the puppy. We get really attached to this brilliant idea that we have, and now we're trying to innovate in five or six or seven different ways, and the reality is, is that resources are scarce. We don't have the luxury of doing that in small business. We've got to pick our battles carefully. So you, if you're listening to this and you're like Steve or I, you might need to go give a few puppies back. No shame, no judgment. Everybody has to do it. We love puppies. They're beautiful. We want to take them home with us. But again, if you continue doing that, you're going to get a house full of puppies that are all tearing up your house right. and misbehaving. We don't want that either. So Definitely don't want that. So yeah, man, that's it. Um, if you're considering, again, areas that you want to differentiate inside of your business, and I highly encourage you to do that. The risk here is that you just go copy everybody and everything that everyone's doing, and then you don't have any differentiators inside of your business. You're looking and trying to seek consensus from everyone, 
as opposed to identifying what does it mean to play my game? What is no one ever going to be able to compete with me on? What stands the test of time? So let's go over the five D's, the areas where you, you want you want to consider differentiating. One is something that's distinct. It sets you apart from the competition. Two is that it's durable. It's going to be really difficult for someone to replicate that. Three is that it's disruption proof. It's going to stand the test of time. This world's a fast pacing world. Is it going to be here in 10 years, 20 years? It's still going to make sense if I innovate here. Number four is that it's desirable. People were actually willing to pay you for this. If you're innovating in something that doesn't affect the bottom line, I would say consider not doing that. Consider just copying that. Right. And then lastly, number five is, is it widely disseminated? Are people familiar with this? Is it a problem that they're familiar with? Is it something that they can wrap their head around? Because if not, you might just be that, that geeky nerd who cares about all these features that nobody else understands or cares about. Um, so those are the five D's of differentiating. That comes from Stephen Shapiro. I've, I freaking love that guy. It's a lot of really good stuff he puts out. So, um, and, and then again, realize that resources are scarce and that we can't do everything. So we have to choose what to differentiate in. And this is your permission to go copy the other stuff. Don't spend your time on areas that, are, that you don't differentiate. Just go find somebody who does it really well and go copy. Right. Who plays at that. This is their play. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. So, um, guys, hopefully you guys got a ton of value today. If you guys uh, are wondering which part to innovate, if you have questions, something that you're wondering, is this something I should innovate in my business or not, um, talk to Paul. Right? Let's go to realestatecertainty.com. Schedule a call. Uh, only thing we ask is you do, at some point, read Rigging the Game prior to the call. And be clear right with the questions like here's the things i'm thinking about innovating does this make sense when you, when you talk to paul like boom we can just really get crystal clear on where to innovate within your business mm -hmm. yep absolutely you can go to realestatecertainty.com and uh, click the little apply button there uh, we do have a group of whales starting here in about I don't know, two or three weeks, uh, our next group that's going to be coming in. So yeah, if you want to learn about how to, you know, take these tools again, that Steve and I talk about every week on certainty and implement them inside your business, uh, go set up a little call with me there or uh, check out realestatecertainty.com. Perfect. Cool. Thank you guys for watching. See you guys next week.